I think good uh, CIOs, good CIDOs, they don't use no as a as a as a default uh, yeah, default answer. I believe in a technique that is used in impro. To get the latest technology provided by a CIO organization, as we are forced to increase efficiency, we need to reduce costs. This is a bit of the art and the science of being, you know, a modern technology and data digital leader in the enterprise. You need to work with your partner's ecosystem. And sometimes you have to admit and say, okay, this is the best technology I can get and I have to accept a higher price than maybe a company what is 10 times bigger than we are. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast. CIOs are from Mars, GBS leaders are from Venus. We have two amazing guests, Filippo and Lars. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves. Maybe I'll go first. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Filippo Catalano, and I am the Chief Information and Digitization Officer at uh, uh, Reddit, which is uh, a very well-known company in the CPG uh, world, we play in three areas. We play in health uh, and we play in hygiene and also in uh, nutrition. Yeah, my name is Lars. I'm the head of business services at Digital at Fresenius Kabi. So we merged uh, IT and business services a couple of months back. Uh, I'm heading both. And uh, Fresenius is a well-known uh, company in the area of um, pharmaceutical products and nutrition and also med tech. All right, I guess. Welcome to the show. We'll jump right in. Filippo, the first question for is for you, since you're a CIO. There is a perception out there that the CIOs are the office of the no. Um, the CIOs want to optimize processes, scale most of the work into core ERP, less systems, and uh, say no to a lot of things. Of course, there's a perception. I'm curious if this perception is true. Do you have a different point of view? I definitely have a different point of view. I think I think good uh, CIOs, good CIDOs, they uh, they don't they don't use no as a as a as a default uh, yeah, default answer. I believe in a technique that is used in impro in uh, impro theater, which is basically answering questions with yes and an end, so that you actually continue the conversation and you keep the conversation going up to the point that we. Even in uh, in uh, my previous company, we trained everybody in the function with a bit of basics of improv so that they can actually learn how to say yes and then figure how to uh, uh, to deliver. Because this way, you think more about the possibilities versus closing uh, your your world and your mind on the on the possibilities. Awesome! I love the term actually, improv technique. All right, next question is for you, Lars. You're on the business side, a GBS leader. So kind of like a flip side perception, which is uh, the business where GBS is the office of the fairy tale. You kind of go get all these demos from all the vendors, cool looking, sexy looking solutions, and you want it now. And you expect the CEO's office to sign off. Is this perception true? Absolutely. So GBS is one of the most important internal customers of the CIO organization as we are bundling transactional processes, we're running the processes on SAP and other ERP systems, we are taking care for HR procurement and other administrative functions. And of course, uh, we bundle uh, lots of uh, people in uh, certain areas and certain centers, and uh, it's a huge uh, lever uh, to get the latest technology provided by a CIO organization. As we are forced to increase efficiency, we need to reduce costs. And uh, so this is why it's more reality than a fairy tale. So we need to align on uh, what is the best 
mutual um, way to achieve the goals of the company. And here, GBS has a strong voice in the IT organization. So if I give, if I give this group CIO a call or adjust the game over Teams, it does not take five minutes until I have a, an answer, right? So this shows the importance of the GBS organization. Got it. So I think maybe that brings me to the next question. So I'm just curious, maybe this is a question for you, Filippo, uh, and then Lars, you can respond. Do you think GBS should have more control over its destiny in selecting and enabling technology or how should be the framework? Look, in what I believe, again, going back to the point of modern uh, organizations, I think that uh, um, where uh, share service, a global share service organization is in place, their mission is to deliver value also through technology, right? So you definitely want to make sure that there is a strong uh, partnership. And this is, especially if you have a implemented modern IT in your company, think about platforms and product management in, uh, in the enterprise. In a lot of areas, most of your users will be anyway um, shared services users. So practical example, if you take uh, you know, one of the companies end-to-end, -end, let's say you take, I don't know, plan to execute the global planning uh, mm -hmm. processes, there will be people in shared services that use those technologies 90%, 95% of their time, right? So you want to make sure if you are a good IT product manager that your prime prospects, which are the people that use this in, in their day-to-day, -day, they are part of the decision-making. They cannot be just some distant uh, customers somewhere else in the, in the enterprise. So definitely it needs to be very well uh very well connected very good point i think in essence it's almost like we also think about it as a product manager you need to be in touch with the end users because otherwise you're not going to get adoption if you just do an exec connect and get alignment and force a technology you might implement but the actual user adoption might not happen right philip absolutely the value will be will be tough to prove some years back when i was with mercedes it was like the it said this is a standard solution i'm providing you and you need to use it i said i don't want it it's not user friendly. But today uh, we are speaking about platform technology and everybody's in favor of platform technology, be it Salonis, be it high radios, be it service now. What would be your recommendation, Lars, to let's say there is a we have a lot of listeners to this podcast, and some of them might have the situation where there is a standard company stack, and mm. this is what you got, take it or leave it. If you're a GBS leader, how should they tackle that mm. in their company? So I would I would consider two things. First, make a decision, and not only based on a on a business case and a certain payback period, but also in the future direction in terms of you want the most fancy piece of software and it needs to be cloud-based and software as a service as you get in upgrades all the time uh, and without having uh, to do a, a new uh, a release and so on. And second is look at Gartner. So they are doing very good research. And if I look at the at, right top at Gartner, be it uh, process mining, be it uh, O2C, be it P2P, I find the right picks, right? So it's so transparent nowadays because there are some players in the market who are really doing well, performing well, and have a broad range of customers. I would always go to somewhere, someone who has a broad range of customers instead, instead of homegrown applications. I can do it better and so on. So Lufthansa, they said, oh, all the travel uh, booking engines on the market, uh, they are not fulfill our agreements. We do it ourselves. 10 times higher cost, inflexible. Mm -hmm. 
uh, very weak. And uh, so it's not getting better. So look at the market, look at market research and make your opinion and ask your peers. So this brings you to the right decision. Guys, awesome. I'm going to switch gears now to a specific technology, robotic process automation, RPA. This has kind of gone through the hype cycle, but now I'm starting to hear a lot of noise. We're not sure if the RPA is effective. It's brittle. Is the ROI there? A lot of the business folks actually went ahead and started doing the center of excellence. And now they're trying to run to the IT folks to help. So maybe like, Filippo, what's your point of view on RPA? I think it's a very, uh, first of all, it's a very hot topic in the industry today. When I, when I, when I talk to my peers in, uh, in the industry, I have a philosophy myself. I have a motto uh, that is basically that the best automation is the one that you don't need because things already work. And I, I think that's that's important because if you if you have the right architecture, if you have the right technology stack, if you have the right data uh, modularity behind the scenes, you you don't need to patch uh, automation after the fact. Things can actually work already natively, organically. So the the best is really the automation. You don't need to uh, slap on uh, on top uh, uh, later. So, but of course, you know the reality is that every company, including the companies I worked for, we always need to take you know uh, take into account the uh, legacy set of things that we have to to manage. We will never have the funding, the prioritization to change everything at once. So. Uh, there is still a role for uh, for automation in uh, in that case, but it's not a panacea that solves all the all the issues. It's actually quite uh, it can be quite uh, quite cumbersome over time to maintain some of those uh, RPA capabilities because the software itself evolves through SaaS, mm -hmm. the screen change, and a lot of things break if you're not careful. Right. So that's uh, that's definitely. Uh, not something that is uh, it's it's needed is a bit of a necessary evil, but uh, is not uh, is not the the answer to to really the transformation of the company. Got it. Just to make sure, Philip, Philip, I understand that. So when you say best automation is the one you don't need, what you're saying is if you have a the right software platform for a logical process, whether it is supply chain, procure to pay, hire to retire, order to cash, you should likely not need RPA bots on top. So really, it's about the platform. I'm a former enterprise architect many years ago. And one of the things you learn there that you always start from the business process architecture, the business capabilities, the business process architecture, then you you define the end-to-end -end flows of your, of your company in your industry, right? So how you run a source to pay, order to cash, plan to execute, record to report, hire to retire, whatever your flows are in, in your industry. And once your business processes are clear, then only then you look at your technology data uh, architecture that is going to satisfy those needs. Okay, and if this is done in the right way and with the right precedences, very little and and you do the right choices. You need to make the right choices as well. Most of what you bring together works natively. You don't need to add other components to take care of gaps in how systems talk to each other. Got it. Lars, your point of view on RPA? So people come and invent bots for meaningless tasks. We should think about the processes, the platforms, all the technology we have behind, like Philippe says, and fully avoid these type of bots, especially when it comes to some changes, the bot has to be adjusted. So I don't know so many meaningful bots, uh, but I know many bots that it just uh, give me a headache, and this is why I don't want them anymore. Got it. Okay. All right. Switching gears to another topic, which is budgets and money. So I'm just curious, uh, Filippo, at your company, how do you handle 
budgets and ROI and business case and what to do, what not to do? I believe that if you have a strong technology organization in an enterprise, they should be uh, the custodian and the decision makers with the right, you know, collaboration, as I mentioned earlier, of everything that is that type of spend. Otherwise, it's very easy for, uh, you know, third parties to divide and conquer on already limited budgets and and uh, not doing the, the right choices. So first is really to manage all the spend in the company as one pot, regardless of where it sits, which cost centers, which budgets and so on. At the end, it's the same company. The second thing is that leaders are now under pressure to do more with less and show ROI, uh, tangible ROI, with the technology investments of the companies, right? And a lot of the spend in the typical enterprise is very difficult to show a direct line of sight of value because a good bunch of the of the spend goes into taking care of the basic foundations, which are table stakes for the company to operate. So. Be clear about that. My, my advice to people that ask about this is don't go and overthink business cases that are founded on, uh, on nothing just to justify things that are obvious foundations. You want to have a resilient network. Yes, you don't have an ROI for that. You can make thousands of you know, hypotheses. Oh, if the network is down for five days, the, that, that, that's not tangible value. So don't lose time. Work on the things that truly have a direct effect on the PL of the company. The other thing I think that works, and uh, there is the industry is moving a lot in this, is full transparency on the cost. The concept of total cost of ownership, the, con the concept of total service cost, which helps also to reconcile some of the differences between IT organizations and some of the shared services. You cannot have organizations where the cost for technology in the shared services is, is born only and um, let's say targeted as by the into the IT leaders and other organizations get a free ride showing a lot of value. Lars, what about Fresnia Scabby and your prior experiences? How yeah. do you get budgets approved for what you want to get done? So very different in the companies. So sometimes it's like you have to prove that you uh, deliver value after 12 months or 18 months. So to justify the investments, sometimes it's like there is base budgets and uh, you can just prioritize. And sometimes it's, it's like a strategic investments um, and you can just make use of it. Uh, so depending on how much money the, the company earns and how, how cost sensitive they are, right? So worst thing I have experienced was really with the companies who were very short at money and who were, who were in a deep crisis mode. They did not invest and said it just needs to be payback of 12 months because I cannot allocate any additional budget at all. In other companies, it was like, okay, there is a base budget. So now we have an un unspecified budget of, a, I don't know, 10 million a year. And so whoever comes and has a good ideas uh, can get it. And there is a certain group of decision makers who allocate it, but without any kind of uh, rules also behind it, just perception. And uh, here it's like very much, uh, if there is a strategic investment into really most modern technology, what is also is a lighthouse, also very important to, to communicate to the, to the outside world or to show that Fresenius is a getting a modern company. Uh, so they give you some budget. Uh, so, but, so to summarize it, uh, it's, it depends on the success of the company, it depends on the industry. Lars, follow-up question on that. This is something that I'm observing in the industry as we speak, especially in the last two to three years, where most companies are consumed by either an SAP S4 HANA project, if you're an SAP ERP or an Oracle Cloud 
transformation mm-hmm. and then that is consuming so much time some of these are like 100 million to 1 billion dollars budgets mm-hmm. to 5 to 7 years and everything else is taking a back seat mm-hmm. what's your take on that like uh, based on your own experience yeah so based on my experience it's important to learn from others here because there are so many companies who spend hundreds of millions into this type of projects and i want to better understand what is their learnings and uh, so to really integrate this in my approach of course we are we are uh, looking into this uh, i was i experienced a, a central finance solution what did not work out well i experienced uh, unprepared uh, s4hana project implementation approach what what burned lots of money so i'm still collecting information i'm still interested in discussion uh, with other um, people who have experienced the rollout philippo your take on this uh, massive projects both at Rekit as well as what you're seeing with your peers I talk maybe with a broader lens not just Rekit uh, uh, experience on this because I I as Lars was saying this is something that we talk among uh, peers all the time mm-hmm. is the trap that has made the end of the career of many of our predecessors when you start to put all of your <laughs> hopes of transformation of a company in a mega multi-year program that is only a technology change okay and i believe that every time there is something that gets sold internally externally by a partner by a set of partners system integrator says oh you change this technology you change this platform and and you will unlock so much value I, I, my advice is to be very very careful and suspicious of that i don't know of any uh, transformation that was just I'm going to do a technology change because if you do the technology change at best what you get is maybe some better performance on certain things but if you don't do your choices of what you do from a business going back to my business process architecture point of view when you do those type of things you need to also to take a chance to clean up with the past to eliminate your debt with the with the past yeah. and and basically saying what are those processes that we run in these systems? Can we actually run them as a standard with process outcome as a service versus another, another approach? And then really focus the company efforts on things that are specific to that company in that industry, the things that truly give competitive advantage. One thing you brought up, Philippa, and we'll close with that is, I mean, I'm also in the software ecosystem. We are like an IT vendor, right? I think you called it a very important thing, which I think uh, uh, will be the last question, which is, there is always a conflict of interest from the vendors to you, right? Whether it is a system integration partner. I mean, as you know, in the ecosystem, the services companies make 10 to 12x times of the license revenue. So how do you, what's your recommendation on, if it could be anyone, right? Anyone comes and says, you should do this as a conflict of interest of a big revenue for them. How do you see through that and make the right decision for yourself? Look, this is this is a bit of the art and the science of being, you know, modern technology and data digital leader in the enterprise. You need to work with your partner's ecosystem, right? But uh, you need also to be able to 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 uh, weave that partner ecosystem in the right way. You cannot have, oh, I am a company X shop, I am a company Y shop. You need to be integrating and orchestrating this ecosystem of partners in the benefit of your company, right? So you need to know the partners really well. 
you need to make sure that you give strong and clear messages through partners. And we use a concept that the industry knows since a while is called the joint business planning. So you create a joint business plan with, a, with each of the top partners where you say, this is your basics. These are going to measure my basic operations with you. This is the innovation that we do with you. And this is the contribution to, to value. And for each of them as their positions, but also you set the expectation. That's the other thing for me that is important, that the partners are an extension of your company. So you want partners to collaborate with other partners, even if sometimes they are competitors in the marketplace, in the name of a common outcome. All right, Lars, any closing thoughts from me on that? Yeah, I agree with uh, Filippo. So maybe maybe two experiences here. Uh, so one was from, from Mercedes when they started the SAP implementation. It was like a technology partnership, uh, R&D partnership with SAP to create the automotive standards. This was very much partner level and for the sake of both. Now, looking into this type of business, uh, we are not a super large uh, company. We don't have this market power. And sometimes you have to admit and say, okay, this is the best technology I can get. And I ha have to accept a higher price than maybe a company what is 10 times bigger than we are. Uh, but uh, let's do it all on a partnership basis. And you can look into the margins of the companies and understand how successful they are. And as we are uh, with a, a 14, 15% gross EBIT margin, uh, so of course the partners know uh, that we are not completely short in money. And so this is all uh, balanced and fair. Uh, but partnership is uh, key because complexity is very much in the details. All right, awesome. Filippo and Lars, I know how busy the two of you are. Thank you so much. Wonderful insights. Have yeah. a good rest of the day.